Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see wonderful things from your word. Amen. Amen. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest from your souls. Sounds like a sermon from one of our most favourite people, doesn't it? Jesus knew the book of Jeremiah very, very well and so did the gospel writers. We uh, see flashes of bits of Jeremiah all through uh, the Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew has the most references, tons of references, um, but we might all be able to recognise the den of thieves, where Jesus says, my house is supposed to be the den, uh, the, the den of prayer, the, the place of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. We probably would all recognise if we were reading the book of Jeremiah, where it talks about the spring of living water that Jesus um, offers to the woman in John 4. We probably all recognise the potter's field, uh, which is um, the field that Jeremiah bought, uh, which is referred to uh, actually in the sad story of Judas and his betrayal. Uh, the sound in Rama of Rachel's bitter weeping in the story of the slaughter of the innocents. I'd like to tell you all about how it's being used in the New Testament. That's not my task, sadly. Um, the New Covenant. Did you know that the only place in the whole Old Testament that the New Covenant is mentioned is in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. There are other covenants, but only one new covenant. Um, Led like a lamb to the slaughter, Jeremiah. No figs on the tree, Jeremiah. Sowing among thorns, <coughs> Jeremiah. And here, of course, rest for souls. And there are lots of others, but they're a bit more obscure. You may also not know that um, behind particularly the Gospel of Matthew, we have... Um, a motif relating to Jeremiah's life, the rejected prophet motif. Now, sadly, my friend um, Michael Nows wrote his PhD on it, but they spent prophet, spelt prophet, the, the people who made the book, P-R-O-F-I-T. Oh. So all over it, it's got, in, in his text, it's prophet, but rejected prophet, so. <laughs> Never mind. But it's, it's a famous thing, it's a real thing that um, the rejected prophet motive based on Jeremiah's life is something that Jesus' life is playing out against and sometimes his story is told. Like we're all Isaiah, 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 but Jeremiah is in there. And backwards, uh, Jeremiah's suffering uh, for, the, for the word of God is often talk, talked about as Jeremiah's passion narrative using Jesus' life and reflecting it back and saying, oh, look at this, we can actually talk about Jeremiah in Jesus' terms. So between those two things, you know, Jesus' life looking like Jeremiah's and Jeremiah's life looking like Jesus, we have that in addition to the sort of quotes. The book of Jeremiah helps us to see an aspect of Jesus' life that we might otherwise miss. When Jesus is journeying to the cross, he's also very aware of the fall of Jerusalem and all the horrors that that will entail for people, not just for the Christians, but for everybody. This is in his heart. This is his hometown. It's going to fall down. Horrible people are going to come and kill people, rape the women and, you know, bash the babies on the rocks and all the horrible things that happen in those kinds of wars. And he's very aware of that. 
And I'm going to come to that um, a little bit later in the sermon to, to, to walk you through that. In the book of Jeremiah, we see um, Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet. It's covered in the tears of Jeremiah. And many of the passages are ambiguous so that we can't see, is it Jeremiah crying or is it God crying? And so um, in the book of Jeremiah, that's a, you can just waste ink on that, who's crying, God or Jeremiah. But when we get to Jesus, the God man, we don't have to worry. Is it his human side, you know, the Jeremiah side weeping or is it the God side? Because in, in Jesus, God and man are together. So when Jesus weeps, we know that God um, is, is, is weeping. But um, we can still follow the Jeremiah story and do our own interpretation if we need to. So I want to um, do this uh, sermon in a couple of parts. I want to suggest that just as the fall of Jerusalem was impacting Jeremiah in his time, he's, he, he knows it's coming, God tells him it's coming, about 20 years before it happens. He says, foe from the north that we heard about here. Then we hear about Nebuchadnezzar by name, and then Nebuchadnezzar rises, and then Nebuchadnezzar eventually, after um, 18 years, um, actually destroys Jerusalem. I want to suggest that that's a backdrop for Jesus' walk to the cross. And Jesus actually connects these two things, and I'll, I'll come back to that later. I suggest that we can't really get the passion of Jesus if we don't get um, the destruction of Jerusalem and all that meant to Jesus. Thomas Merton speaks about um, spirituality in the time of the 20th century. He says, Whoever has meditated on the passion of Christ but has not meditated on the extermination camps of Dachau and Auschwitz, has not yet fully entered into the experience of Christianity in our time. If you haven't meditated on the extermination camps, then you haven't really grasped 20th century Christianity, he says. And I'd like to um, paraphrase what he says. Whoever has meditated on the passion of Christ but has not meditated on the fall of Jerusalem, has not yet fully entered into the experience of Jesus in his time as he walked to the cross. So I'm going to first um, look a bit at Jeremiah and Jeremiah's tears, and I think God's tears, but it doesn't matter if you don't agree with me. And then I want to look at Jesus and his walk to the cross in the shadow of the fall of Jerusalem. He clearly knew it was coming. You know that story where he says, um, all the stones here will be thrown down, not one will remain on top of, of the other one. So he knew it was coming. Um, that's you know 40 years before it happened. And um, he knew it was coming and it broke his heart. So I'd like to um, have a look at Jeremiah and how the coming fall of Jerusalem broke Jeremiah's heart and God's heart and then have a look at Jesus in the text about Jesus. So I'm looking at Jeremiah. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow me jumping around, you can. But I'll start with the text that we just read. So in Jeremiah 6, we're in a setting where um, for the last few chapters, Jeremiah's been begging people to return to God, to turn back to God. He's been portraying God and God's way as really attractive. God is the spring of living water. 
in contrast to the broken cisterns which hold no water. Probably a great deal of this period is in an actual drought. And if you watch TV, you can see drought pictures. Um, so it's not just like a nice little story about water to people with running water. We're talking to people whose fields are drying up and their animals are dying. I'm living water. He talks about here going on the ancient paths. And in another part in chapter eight, he talks about stay on the highway, on the built roads. Don't just wander off on the sheep tracks, you know, where you're kind of going to get lost in the hills and break your ankle and be eaten by snakes and things like that. You know, like stay on the real path. He talks about staying with God as, as lovers in the wilderness. Sort of go on a camping holiday with God and have a lovely time together. Don't sort of start running around with all these other rough and arrogant people um, that are described as lovers, which are other political groups. He says that um, in, in the earlier chapters that they have broken the yoke. You know, this part about rest to your souls in the gospel is about Jesus says, take my yoke. He says, you've broken my yoke. You've tried to go off and relate to other people. Come back and let me be the one that's in charge of your life. He begs them to come back to return to him as the true lover. But they say, oh no, we'll go after other gods. Let's be much more fun. So in this, in this text that we have here, he says, stand at the crossroads, ask for the good way and walk in it and you'll get rest for your souls. But they say, we will not walk in it. He says, I appointed watchmen over you, that's the prophets, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. And for many years, Jeremiah's been giving these warnings about coming back to God, but they say, we will not listen. And so he says to them, uh, with the witness of nations and of the earth. In Deuteronomy, um, Moses calls heaven and earth as a witness. Here he's just calling the earth. I don't know perhaps um, why he didn't bother with the heavens, but still a big witness. I'm bringing disaster on these people because they have not listened to my words. And then as we go down the text, um, verse 22, an army is coming from the land of the north. Um, it says they're cruel with no mercy. They sound like the roaring sea. In other passages, it talks about them as a hot wind. As another place, it talks about them as a lion rising up from a thicket. This is not, you know, like a, a state visit from the Queen. This is going to be something really scary. Um, and he talks about Israel. Um, here we've got daughter Zion in verse 23. Um, in verse 26, it says, my people, but that's daughter of my people. In another place, um, virgin Israel. He's picturing Israel as if they were a young woman and all these like rough guys are going to come and, and break into her house. It's, it's, it's not a nice picture. In another place, he talks about Israel as wounded and sick and, and in desperate need of a physician. And we might think about Jesus' words, I haven't come for those who don't need a physician, but for those who are sick. The whole of um, Israel, he pictures as a very sick person and like, um, like a woman in labour. It seems to be one of the maximum pictures of suffering in the Old Testament, which is quite interesting when we're quite casual about women in labour. But every time you tell people it's going to be really bad, you say, just like a woman in labour. So, um, of course, they didn't have drugs in those days, but um, still a very serious matter. Seems to me that the way the Israelites are portrayed is a little bit like um, when you think about the typhoon and the uh, hurricane that have recently come. 
um, I've been very interested in, in Typhoon Mangkuk because I've you know, lived in Asia and many of you would also have either visited or have relatives or whatever or come exactly from Asia. Uh, to think about that huge cycle of... I'm going the way out Huge cycle that might be good for you. You're sick. Um, the, the huge cycle of, of wind and, uh, and destruction coming towards... Um, the country, and also if you might have more interest in the American one, you can picture that with all the water involved. But um, I saw on my Facebook, I don't know if you saw this, did you see the Dragon Air plane that was like twirling? Apparently it's fake news. Apparently it didn't happen. But when I first saw, saw it, I thought it's, it's just somebody, it's even computer generated, I think. But what an image of this huge, like apparently they evacuated 300 Three, three million, three million evacuated. Three million people in China because you know this huge things coming. Three million people evacuated, and then you see this little plane, you know, and you think, wow, fantastic! What fantastic flying! And you think, what was that idiot doing out in a typhoon? Because if you've lived in a typhoon country, you know that you can't go to school. There's no buses. There's no trains. They wouldn't let you up. Like it, it's impossible. But this is such a good picture of the kings of Judah out in their little planes flying, you know, in the midst of this huge typhoon that is coming. They just were like totally clueless about the huge devastation that was coming towards them. And I want to just have a look at some of the um, references in Jeremiah now to the anguish of, Jer- anguish of Jeremiah and of God as this terrible thing is coming. So chapter 4, verse 19. Um, Definitely Jeremiah speaking, and maybe um, God um, reflected. Well, God certainly gave him these words, so um, there's certainly anguish there. My anguish, my anguish. It's actually, oh my guts, oh my guts. This, this is huge, like physical pain going on. Um, my heart is beating wildly. I can, wildly, I cannot keep silent because I hear the trump of the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. So this isn't because of the people's sin. This is because of the danger coming to his people. And in this sort of reflection, I want to remind you that Jeremiah was preaching all the time, repent, repent, repent. But at the same time, he's able to hold on to the disaster and the devastation and the misery, the human misery that's coming. This is this is agonizing him as well. So some people are like, oh worry about sin, but you know, if somebody's sick, you know, let them die, never mind, or whatever. Whereas Jeremiah is holding both the offer of rest and the anguish of his nation in his one heart. And it's ripping him apart. And I think this is really um, important for us to see. So chapter 8, verse 18. He says, My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Um, verse 21, for the hurt of my poor people, I'm hurt. I mourn and dismay, and dismay has taken hold of me. Verse 22, is there no balm in Gilead? Famous bit. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my people. Then over the page, verse 10, take up wheeling, weeping and wailing for the mountains and lamentation for the wilderness. So this is grieving for the earth and the devastation that will happen to the earth, uh, for the cattle, for the birds of the air and the animals have, have all um, been wiped out and gone. Um, and then the fall of Jerusalem. Um, 9.17, thus says the Lord of hosts, call, and co- 
call for the mourning women to come, send for the skilled women to come. So again, this huge uh, agony. Uh, chapter 10, some more, and in chapter 14, but I'm um, watching my time and I won't go into those. So let's come to Jesus. Let's come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And let's come to Jesus uh, in, in um, the book of Luke. So most of the references are in uh, Mark. This is ton, uh, Matthew, rather. Tons in Mark. Um, but I'm just going to use Luke because he explicitly addresses the fall of Jerusalem in these chapters. So Luke 13, uh, 31. So we're with Herod um, calling um, to kill Jesus. And Jesus says, 13, 33... Uh, 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. So we often move quickly to blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but we don't want to miss Jesus' grief and pain at the thought of Jerusalem um, and his, his love for the um, the chickens, and again, if you're on Facebook and you're my friend, you'll have seen this ch- chicken with like ten chickens under him in the rain. Very, very hilarious um, picture of of a, a very wet-looking chicken. Uh, Luke 21, uh, Luke 21:5, he says, "As for these things, you see, the days are coming when not one stone will be will be left upon another; they will all be thrown down." And then he goes on in verse 20 to say um, about the Jerusalem surrounded by enemies. This is the fall of Jerusalem in Jesus' time. And those in Judea must flee. These are the days of vengeance. Woe to those who are pregnant and the nursing mothers because there'll be great distress and wrath. There'll be the edge of the sword and captives. These horrible um, human disasters will occur. And then finally, Luke 23, 28. Jesus going to the cross here and this is where we see that the fall of Jerusalem is in his mind as he's going to the cross. So the women of Jerusalem are walking behind him and beating their breasts which is a standard um, mourning behaviour as discussed in Jeremiah. But Jesus turns and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and your children. For days are coming when they say, Blessed are the barren, blessed are the breasts that have never nursed, fall on us. Uh, to the hills and what will they do when the wood is dry but it's really helpful not to just move quickly past that but to stay with that this is this is this is one of the things that jesus was thinking on the way to the cross of course he's thinking oh dear i've got to sort out everybody's sins and oh dear i'm going to have a horrible time but he's also thinking about this human tragedy that is coming to jerusalem the book of jeremiah gives us insight into the heart of God, God's weeping and tears for the, for the devastation of his beloved people. And it gives us an insight into Jesus, even though we have less of these references about Jesus' concern, we see it coming through in some key passages. So let's think about this God. This is the God who is our God, as we're hearing about tragedy in human lives or in the wider world 
does our heart beat with the heart of God? The, in Jeremiah, the people were actually taken, the ones who went into exile, went into the eye of the storm. They went into a place of safety while the devastation was whirling around them. And we ourselves are next to the heart of Jesus. We're in the eye of the storm. Um, but it doesn't mean that these effects won't come to us personally or to people that we know, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you offer us rest, but at the same time, you hold in your heart the anguish of the world. We pray that we would also, as we offer rest to others, hold in our hearts their anguish. Amen.